right. Well, good morning, Docs Church. Guys, it's, it's great to see everybody today. If you're new to Doxa, uh, welcome again. My name is Rob. It's, it's great to have you part of the, the Doxa family today. But we are in week eight of a study through the great joy-filled book of Philippians. So I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and uh, find your way to uh, Philippians chapter 3. And as you get there, guys, here's, here's where I'm going to start. All right, as we, uh, I want to set up kind of like our, our section in Philippians 3 today, theologically, all right, because the text that we're, we're dealing with this morning comes in the context of, of three major ideas that Paul speaks about in regards to the Christian life, all right, that is, that as Paul speaks about the Christian life and of salvation throughout the New Testament letters that he wrote, he does so in, in three ways, past, present, and future, all right, theologically, we, we use the words justification, sanctification, glorification. And so what I want to do is I just need to spend a few minutes just helping us to understand these concepts. And, and this is not so like I can stand up here and nerd out and like get you to think that I'm really smart. If you've ever spent any amount of time with me, you know that ship sailed long ago, okay? But, and this is also not to like make us like be that church that we are like quiz bowl champions or anything like this. But here's what we understand. It's none of that. But guys, we need to have the understanding that our theology is the foundation of our lives with God. Our theology drives like our reality. It's like we understand who God is and we need to understand who we are and like the plan for the lives that he has given us. And our theology is so important as we walk with God throughout our daily lives as we journey home to him. But the term justification, all right, basically answers a massive question that many people think about. And it's this, is like how can we as like sinful, broken people stand before a perfect, good, and holy God and expect anything except condemnation of hell? Like how, how can we do this? And, and so many people, we, we wonder this, right? And maybe we might not ask it like that, but we, we say, man, like how do I get to heaven with God? Like, what is it going to take? I, I understand that God is perfect. I'm clearly not. Like, how is this going to flesh itself out? How is this going to work out? And we kind of talked about this last week in the first part of chapter 3. And Paul gives us the answer, and the answer is Jesus, right? It always comes back to him. But Jesus is God who entered into human history, into our story. He lived a life without sin. He died the death that he died for our sin, and he rose for our salvation, and so as a result, if we trust in Jesus, he justifies us, meaning that he, he takes my sin, he gives me his righteousness, and he allows me to be with God, escaping the eternal reality of hell. All right, the great reformer, Martin Luther, he called this the great exchange. It's a beautiful picture that Jesus on the cross, he dies, and as we put our faith and come to him, he takes our sin, and he gives us his righteousness. This is justification. And the good news about justification, this is what the gospel kind of surrounds because this is such good news because my justification is not predicated on my good works, but it's on the works of Jesus. And this is what Paul says. Paul says in verse 9, which we looked at last week, that he wants to be justified. He, that justified, meaning that he's forgiven of sin and he's made right with God, not by anything that he has done, not by being a good, moral, religious person, none of that, but rather it comes through faith in Jesus. And so, righteousness, salvation, forgiveness, justification, all of that is a gift. And so when we talk about justification, I want you to understand, Jesus does all the work. All right, we don't do anything to be justified. 
We simply believe in the identity in the works of Jesus, and through faith, he justifies us. And this is actually how we become a Christian. Jesus does all the work. And many of you last week, as we went through the first part of Philippians chapter three, you realized this, and you came to Jesus in faith because you realized that it's not church that saves you, it's not religion that saves you, it's not your good works that save you, but you realized for the first time that it's all Jesus, and you came to Jesus, you put your faith in him, he saved you, he gave you a new eternal life, and we're gonna celebrate this great work of Jesus in just a couple weeks as we get, go through these baptisms. It's gonna be a great day of celebration, and this is ultimately what it's all about. So justification. Now, in the future, Paul says that we will be glorified. All right? Many Christians, we tend to, tend to use the language of we go to heaven and be with God forever. But glorification is this, all right? that as we look at the, the man Jesus, that just like Jesus rose from death and was given a glorified body, all right, one day when Jesus comes again as he promised he would, we will all rise from death get perfect bodies, and we will live eternally with God in glory. And again, Paul touched on this last week in verse 11. He's speaking about attaining the resurrection of the dead, but he also speaks to this if you look at verse 21 where he says that Jesus will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. All right, and and just like justification, when we talk about glorification, Jesus does all the work. It's effortless on our part. And so glorification and justification, I want you to think of it like this, are kind of like the bookends to the Christian life. That Jesus justifies us and one day he will glorify us. Now, here's the thing. Many people, this is how they think about the Christian life. I come to Jesus and he saves me and then I die and I go to heaven. And there's something true about that, but that is a very inadequate, malnourished understanding of what the Christian life is because in between justification and glorification is this big space. And this is the life that we live, which is all about sanctification. And sanctification actually involves work for us. It involves work because sanctification is where we live our daily lives, where we repent of sin, We learn, we grow, we change, we mature, and we become more like the Jesus who saved us. And if you don't know this, that takes effort. Paul talks about this in in Philippians chapter two. Right, if you remember verse 12, he says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, that there is a work component that we don't just drift into godliness. I mean, how many of you that are Christians, you've, you've felt this, right? It's like you read the Bible, you look at Jesus' words, works, and ways, and as you see him more and more clearly, then you start to see your words, works, and ways, and you're like, oh my gosh, there is a lot of work to be done for me to look like Jesus, right? This is what Paul is talking about. This is sanctification. This is how we grow in spiritual maturity. It's working with God. Paul says elsewhere to like train ourselves for godliness. And so God is working in us, on us, and through us. And as he's working, we join him in that work. And this is the lives that we live as Christians, becoming more and more like Jesus. And this is exactly what Paul is gonna help us with today. All right, he's gonna give us an instructive path for growing in spiritual maturity, doing the work of sanctification. And so here's what I'll tell you. For those of you who are Christians, I wanna encourage you to lean in, to listen to Paul, because he's gonna give us some very practical things for us to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness, which is the goal of our lives. But if you are here and you're not a Christian, 
I want to tell you this. I love that you're here. I love teaching you the Bible. But before you even think about like engaging in sanctification and changing your life and just I got to change different things, I got to do a bunch of stuff, you need to know that above everything else, you need to come to Jesus and you need justification. This is where it all starts. And so as you listen to this, you're getting a picture of what we as Christians are, are working towards. We're trying to become like Jesus, being sanctified. But your first step, all of our first steps, needs to be to come to Jesus to allow him to justify us. But here's what Paul says, all right? We're going to pick up where we stopped last week, verse 12. Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, okay? So he's building off of verse 11 where he's talking about attaining the resurrection from the dead. He's, he's talking about glorification where God will make us perfect. And Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and, the glory, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. All right, so here is the big question that we're dealing with today. How do I live the Christian life? Okay, for those of you who are Christians, like, what does it look like to live a Christian life? How do I grow in spiritual maturity? How do I do the work of sanctification? Paul gives us four essentials. And the first one is this, is that I humbly acknowledge that I have not arrived. This is the first mark. Look at verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, that I not consider that I have made it my own. All right, Paul simply says, hey, guys, I love Jesus, but I am not perfect. And he says, hey, Jesus has done something great in my life. He's taken my sin, he's made me his own, and I have a lot of joy from that. And Jesus has changed me in significant ways, in radical ways. I'm a totally, profoundly different man with a different eternity, and in that, I rejoice. And Jesus has made me new. And we see the joy that Paul has as he's been going through Philippians, but he says, but I'm still a broken man. I'm still a sinful man. I'm not a perfect man. And Paul's words and posture here, I think, are really significant. Okay, because even the great apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament and did amazing things for God, here he is, acknowledging his sin and his imperfection. And in listening to Paul's words here, there's something so significant that we need to understand about the Christian life, and it's this, okay? In this life, you are never going to arrive. You understand what I mean by that? It's not like you're just gonna kind of arrive one day where you have it all together, you know everything you need to know, and you're just kind of like set in your life and you just hit cruise control. That's not our lives. 
that there's always something to learn. There's always some new lesson to be applied. There's always some sin to kill. There's always some new truths to be understood. There's always something to change and grow in. This is the truth of the Christian life. The Christian life is about ongoing, just learning, repentance, humility, and change. That you never reach the point where you're just kind of like, you know what, guys, I'm here. I did it. Right, you got the box of sanctification, you check it off, and you're like, man, I am so glad that I don't have to repent of sin anymore. That was annoying, right? I'm so glad I read through the Bible again. I know it all. Man, I don't have to worry about posting stuff to social media now to show people I'm reading my Bible, but now I just know it. I'm, I'm good, right? You're never gonna get to that point where you're just like, I am totally mature. I got it all together. No one gets perfect in this life. That's glorification. And so as we walk with Jesus, doxa, we talk about this all the time, but we do this humbly, knowing that we continually need the grace of God, the spirit of God, and the word of God to help us. And so for those of you who are Christians, let me just remind you of this. The Christian life is not just you coming to Jesus and then dying at some point and going to heaven. Sure, that's part of it, but it's coming to Jesus, waiting for that day where you're gonna be with Jesus, but in the meantime, in the everyday stuff of your life, it's loving Jesus, it's following Jesus, it's living like Jesus, humbly, dependent on the grace, the spirit, and the word of God. We haven't arrived, none of us. No matter how long you've been a Christian, your first word as you popped out of the womb might have been Jesus. It doesn't matter, you have not arrived. No one has. But here's the question, how do you know if you have this posture, Christian? How do you know if you're like there with Paul? Let me give you just a few questions to consider. First question, to kind of diagnose your, your life and your posture. When is the last time you repented of sin? I mean, do you even see your sin? Or do you, do you kind of think like, okay, I'm, I'm with Jesus, I've been walking with him for a long time, I don't really have this, I'm not going to talk about it. Or maybe you do see your sin, but you're like, I'm certainly not going to talk about it and repent and confess like the Bible says, like I'm past that, like these other people, these young Christians, they need to do that in their life, but I have it together, I've got to show everybody I have it together. What about this one? Do you read the Bible regularly? Or, or maybe you kind of have a posture of like, I've read it through, I know the gist of it, I can do this, right? I just talked to a guy not too long ago and literally he told me that. He's like, I read the Bible last year and I get the gist of it, now I'm on the more things that are just like more stimulating for me. And I'm just like, for real, right? Do you depend on God or do you have like a posture where it's all about you and you're gonna do it? Here's another question, are you easily edified you understand what I mean by that? It's like, are you able to learn from anybody? Or are you one of those people that like kind of show up and depending who's up here on the stage and what they look like, then maybe you'll take out notes and maybe you'll learn and listen and lean in. Or can you show up to a connection group and regardless of who's leading that thing or you're in a group of people, regardless of what they're saying, you're willing and humble and ready to learn. I remember I like, I, this, this struck me, like several years ago I was, I was preaching and it was this big crowd and there was a guy in front He's probably even, I think he's been a pastor for like 60 years. It's kind of intimidating, but I, he was sitting there and he's taking notes as I'm preaching. And I'm like, what in the world is he writing down? 
Like, what am I possibly giving him that he doesn't know already? And I remember he came up and he was like, brother, that was really good. And I'm like, what were you writing down? He's like, I was taking notes. You said some great stuff. I'm like, Tom, like what? What could I have possibly said? And he's like, I've come to know I can learn from anybody and that includes you, Rob. And I was like, ah, thank you. I don't know, I don't know what that means. Like, right? But are you easily edified? Because none of us have arrived and no one is perfect, but we work towards that, pressing on to become more like Jesus. This is sanctification, this is spiritual maturity, and this is the mark of a true Christian, that we grow and we change. Now, as we're thinking about this, guys, here's what this should do in our lives as we hear from Paul. Number one, this should comfort you. This comforts me. Because as Paul is writing this, He's identifying with the Philippians and us as a fellow Christian, that he didn't want them or us to think that he was like this spiritual superstar or way superior than any of us, but he's just being real with who he is as a justified man. And Paul is just here admitting that while he has been made new by Jesus, he is still broken and he hasn't arrived. And guys, this, I don't know if this comforts you, but this comforts me especially when I look at my life and sometimes it's so messy and so sinful and so broken and I'm just kind of like in despair. And I read Paul and I can look at Paul and be like, man, he's perfect. One day, maybe I'll be perfect like that. And then I'm reminded, he was just as jacked up as me. And I come back to Paul in Romans chapter seven and eight where he kind of is in this tension that I find myself in all the time where he's like, I don't do the things I wanna do. I keep doing the things that I don't wanna do. Oh my gosh, I'm a wretched man. There's no hope for me. And then in the beginning of chapter eight, he says, but thanks be to God because now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that comforts me. I'm not alone in this. And just like Paul, I, I, can, I can have the posture of like, guys, Jesus is worth it. And just as Paul is saying, I'm not perfect, but I need some help. I need you to pray for me, walk alongside me, encourage me, help me to become like Jesus. Keep reminding me that Jesus is worth it. Let's lock arms and let's run. The second thing this should do is produce in us what Warren Worsby says, a sanctified dissatisfaction. All right, that when Paul says, if you look back, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is a statement of a mature Christian who hasn't allowed himself to be satisfied with his spiritual achievements. Okay, so, so Paul, as he, as he wrote this, he's likely been a Christian for like 30 years. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. I mean, he's writing the Bible. He could have looked at all the things that he had been doing and just kind of put it on cruise control and just rested where he was at. And just said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in a pretty good place. He could have looked at other people around him and said, I'm way, that guy is jacked. I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm going to go. But that's not what Paul did. He was dissatisfied with his life. And his dissatisfaction was not in his relationship with Jesus, as he can point back to verse 8 where he talks about complete satisfaction with Jesus. But he was not satisfied, hear this, with his spiritual maturity that he looked at Jesus. He didn't compare his life to people around him, but he looked to Jesus and he saw Jesus and he said, man, I, I'm not like him in a lot of ways and I need to change and I want to be like Jesus, which is the goal of the Christian life. Romans eight twenty nine, being conformed to the image of Christ. That he wanted to keep growing and maturing into the likeness of Jesus and this is a mark of a Christian. And basically what I hear Paul saying is, guys, I belong to Jesus. 
and I love Jesus, and since I belong to Jesus and Jesus loves me, I want my whole life to be about Jesus, and anything in my life that keeps me from that, I wanna repent of that, I wanna learn from that, I wanna grow from that, I wanna change that so I can keep learning and growing and maturing. This is the mark of a true Christian. They pursue sanctification, growth, change, maturity. And then number three, Paul's words here should affect the way that you view and treat other people. Because hear me on this, guys. When we understand that no one is perfect and we realize that especially we, myself, am not perfect and I still need to grow in maturity and holiness, it should cause you to be more humble and more loving and more gracious and more patient with other people around you. And so when somebody does something wrong or says something wrong and they sin and they mess up and they err, we shouldn't look at them and be like, I cannot believe you did that. Instead, we should be like, I expect that, right? Because you're broken, I'm broken. You're wicked, I'm wicked. We're both sinful, we're works in process. Let's just be humble and loving towards each other and we're gonna work this out as we journey home to Jesus, right? It should cause us to realize that no one is perfect and that affects the way that we hold people to high standards and get mad and angry at one another. None of us are perfect and we shouldn't expect perfection from anyone, but hear me on this, Christian. If you are in fact a Christian, while we shouldn't expect perfection, we should expect progress. And we've talked about this, that the Christian life is not so much about perfection, but it's about progression. This is what sanctification is all about, becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a key mark of spiritual maturity and sanctification. And this is the second essential thing to living a spiritually mature life. And so we ask the question, how do I live as a Christian? Number two, I intentionally pursue knowing Jesus more. Verse 12 again. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. All right, there's, there's movement in Paul's life. He says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I want you to circle that in your Bible, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now here's what I'll say. Okay, many Christians, we can identify with that first point, that we're not perfect. You're like, yep, check, got that one, right? If you're still wondering about that, guys, look at your wife and she'll just be like, yes, okay, and then we can move on. But we, we recognize that we're not perfect. But what happens is a lot of times many Christians use that point as an excuse to be complacent. That we think I'm not perfect, I'm never gonna be perfect, I'm just gonna sit here and just do my own thing and not put any work in, I'll just wait to be glorified. But look at Paul. Paul understood what Jesus had, has done for him. He's like, Jesus has loved me when I didn't love him. Jesus has saved me when I couldn't save myself. And Jesus gives me everything, even though I deserve nothing. And because of that, Paul was like, Jesus is totally worth it. He's worthy of all my praise, my, my glory. He's worthy of all my life, everything I have. And as a result of that thinking, Paul tries to live his life for the glory of God. But this takes effort. It takes effort because we're all sinful and we don't naturally live for the glory of God. We don't naturally live for and like Jesus, but Paul pursues it. He pursues after this. 
And as we think about how we live the Christian life, this is a key component, that we have an intentional pursuit of Jesus. Look back to how Paul was so intentional. Verse 12, he says, I press on. Verse 13, but one thing I do. Verse 14, I pursue. He's running hard after this prize that he mentions. All right, so when we're reading the Bible, we we ask questions. What is this prize that he talks about in verse 14? What is it that he's running so intentionally after? And if you look back to verses 1 through 11, we get a picture of this. Paul is in pursuit, hot pursuit, of a fuller knowledge of Christ. That he wants to know Jesus more and more. And guys, this is the essence of Pauline theology. It was all about knowing Jesus more and more. And as he knew Jesus more and more, he grew in his love and affection for him and he became more and more like him, which is his goal. All of our goals, to grow and to change and to mature, to be sanctified, to look more and more like Jesus. And so for those of you who are Christians, guys, Our lives with God, hear me on this, are not meant to be passive. Passivity, guys, is a a gross thing, especially among men in our country. And the passivity of men has led to so many destructive things in our world today, the destruction of the family, of society. But just like a passive man trying to lead his wife and kids will lead them in a really bad way, a passive Christian will never naturally go towards Jesus. Our lives are not meant to be passive. I believe it was Dallas Willard who says that we never just drift into godliness, the stream of tendency is simply against us. You're not gonna just sit on your couch watching Roseanne and eating Cheetos and become more like Jesus. Does anybody want Roseanne? What did I, I don't even know. It's a terrible show, I grew up with it though. Right, but it's not, it's not a passive pursuit. And Paul says, I put effort on, I press in. And he helps us to know how to do that. Look back to verse 13. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Doc said, too many Christians are too involved in many things when the secret of progress and maturity and godliness and sanctification is to concentrate on one thing. Paul had a singular passion and desire and it was to know Christ more and more, to know Christ. And for Paul, this was a lifetime adventure. And I think this is why Paul had so much joy. Right, he's, this is a book just packed with joy. He's talking about a joy. He's he's in prison as he's writing this and he's talking about how he rejoices. He tells us to rejoice. I mean, how many of you, you want a little bit more joy in your life? guys are all good okay I know but we all want that right all of humanity is in pursuit of more joy more happiness but here's what we need to understand guys there is a big difference between joy and happiness all right happiness is a feeling that I get when like things go well when circumstances are right I get a promotion I feel happy right I don't get punched in the face by a bully I feel happy my marriage is going great I feel happy Right, everything is just kind of smooth sailing in my life. I feel happy. But the minute something goes wrong and doesn't go right, I'm unhappy. Happiness is fleeting. It's temporary and it's fragile. It's a moment by moment experience that can flee as quickly as it can come. 
But joy, joy is different. And this joy that Paul is talking about throughout Philippians is very, very different. It's not just an emotional feeling based on positive circumstances, but it's a state that can be lived in based on the source of everything. And so just hear me on this. Authentic joy comes from having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That real joy comes from knowing the Lord. And this source of joy rises above our changing circumstances because it's rooted in an unchanging Savior. Amen? I mean, this is why Paul had so much joy. And so what this means is because God is unchanging and we are with him through Christ, we can be rooted in this unchangeable God, this unchanging joy. So in good times and in difficult times, I can have joy. Joy is accessible to us in times of prosperity and in times of poverty. Everything can change in my life. Things can fall apart. But the grace and the hope and the love and the power and the presence and the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ are there and they're sturdy and they're unchanging. And in that, we can rejoice. Does this make sense? Everything can be wrong out there, but I'm okay in here because of the joy of the Lord. This is the song that we sing. Guys, it's not just because, oh, that's a cool song. Maverick City is really sweet. People love Maverick City. We should do that. No, it's because it's true. And we sing things to reinforce a true nature, a true thing in our lives. It's the joy of the Lord. Paul knew this, and he had one thing, a one thing mindset, knowing Christ more. And here's how he says he does this, how he knows Christ more. Verse 13 again, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Circle forgetting and straining, guys. These are really important words for living the Christian life, for growing in spiritual maturity and living in joy. All right, Paul says, I forget what lies behind. All right, and here's what this means. All right, Peter O'Brien says it like this. He says, when Paul says that he forgets the past, he means that he will not allow his past achievements or failures to prevent him, his gaze, from being fixed firmly on the finish line with Jesus. In this sense, he forgets as he runs the race home. And as we hear this, guys, this should encourage us. Because modern wisdom, the wisdom of the world, focuses on your past. And oftentimes it forces us to place too high of a value on our pasts. And to be sure, right, our, our past, like, affect our present lives, both in good ways and in bad ways. But Paul is saying, don't make too much of your past. And somebody in here needs to hear this today. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. Because the gospel is way more powerful than that. I mean, look at the guy who's writing this. Paul persecuted Christians before he became one. He had a lot of sin, a lot of anti-God activity in his life, but Paul didn't let his past dictate his future. He repents, he asks forgiveness, and he simply puts it behind him, and he keeps running forward towards Jesus. And Doxa, this is what we can do too. Because Satan would love to keep you in your past. He would love to keep you there so that he can make you ineffective and joyless in your present. He would love to keep you in the shame and the guilt from your past sin, causing you to miss out on the joy and the forgiveness and the grace and the promises that Jesus can give you in the present. He would love to keep you in past successes and victories as well. Because while you glory in the glory days and you keep remembering those things, it'll keep you from being effective here because you'll just become apathetic in your present because you're constantly living in the glory of the past. Too many Christians are shackled by regrets 
and fixated on successes of the past. But hear me on this. I think this is what Paul would say. You can't dwell on the past if your goal is to run forward. And he's using athletic imagery here of talking about a runner. It's not like you see like an Olympic runner just running straight ahead and like looking backwards the whole time, right? It's ineffective. You can't do that. And I started thinking about like athletics in my football days. And I remember my coaches had a thing that they would always say, next play, next play. Because they knew that if we, if we fixated on like how good we did that last play or even how bad we messed up that last play and didn't focus on the next play, that we weren't gonna be successful in this next play. And so they said, don't even worry about it. next play. And I think this is kind of what Paul is saying here, next play. Paul says, I don't live in my past, but I'm constantly looking forward towards Jesus and his promises of a future. And I think what Paul is saying is that we can break the power of the past by living for the future. And I've felt this in my life, guys. For many, many years as a Christian, I lived in my past. And there was a lack of joy, there was insecurity, there was fear. I mean, a lot of you know my story, but I remember like when I became a Christian, like I had so much shame built up between with my, my dad's suicide, my senior year in high school, and my past sin before I became a Christian. That when anybody talked about family, I would just get anxiety and I would be like, oh my gosh, if they find out about my past with my dad, they're gonna think I'm crazy and they're gonna think I'm gonna kill myself too. And I would literally run away. No one knew anything about my family because I was scared to death to talk about my past. And I would even think this with my sin. I'm like, okay, I'm getting involved in this church now, but if they knew, like how many people I've taken advantage of, if they knew the stuff that I've done, they're not gonna wanna be friends here. I'm not gonna fit here anymore. And there was this constant like walking on eggshells with my entire life because I was so bound up by my past. And I remember I was in, I was going to like a retreat and it was not until this guy named Chad. I, Chad was like a quirky dude, kind of weird, but God used him in a great way, okay? So if you're quirky and weird, God can still use you too, okay? But Chad, I'm in the car with him and we start talking about the past. And I literally remember being on the highway being like, I got, I got to jump out. Like, I got to jump out of the car right now, right? And it's just like, well, I'm going to die if I do that. Like, that's not a good option. And I start talking. I'm like, okay, look, dude, here's my dad, like, my sin. I'm like, don't worry. Like, I've changed. I'm not crazy either. I'm not going to kill myself. And I don't do those things anymore. So please don't. And I remember him just, like, interrupting me and just taking me to the word of God. He's like, you're new, bro. Why would you ever think that? Like, the past doesn't determine anything about your current life. Jesus and his gospel is way more powerful than that. And I remember that was a moment where everything changed. And God began to heal me. And you know how you are over your past and not living in the past? You can talk about it. Paul just got done talking about his past. He's like, I used to be all legalistic back at the beginning of chapter 3. When you can talk about your past, no longer have power over you. And so here's what I would say to you guys. Yesterday, you may have sinned against Jesus or lived faithfully with Jesus. Today, repent of that sin and thank him for that grace and just fix your eyes on him today. Forget what is behind and put one foot in front of the other and run towards Jesus. Walk with him today. Set your eyes on him in the future. 
and experience his presence and his joy and his grace and his power and his love. And if you look to verse 15, Paul says, let those who are mature think this way. And if you don't think this way, God will help you. He's like, this is the right way to think. Like, understand this, that God, through his sanctifying work, he's going to help you with this. And we're going to hold true to what we have. And I think what he's talking about here is the word of God, that the word of God helps us to navigate through life, to know what is true about ourselves and of him and of eternity. And this is why we do what we do here at Doxa, why we seek to be a Bible-saturated church, because we need God. We need Jesus and his spirit and his word to us to help us work through life, to experience this joy. And so Paul says that the Christian life is, I humbly acknowledge that I haven't arrived. I intentionally pursue knowing Jesus more. And then number three, I follow godly examples. Verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and tell you now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Guys, here's what I'll tell you. As you think about living the Christian life and growing in spiritual maturity, all of that, who you follow matters. Right, who you hang out with absolutely matters. And here Paul is encouraging the Philippians to look to godly, faithful examples to imitate because growth in godliness is enhanced when we're influenced by the right spiritual people. And this could seem really arrogant of Paul, right? Him being like, just follow me, I'm super mature, just do everything I do. But this is not. Look at the context of what he's writing. He's saying, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I'll tell you that one of the marks of a spiritual mature person is being cognizant and aware of how sinful you actually are. This is a mark of maturity. And what Paul is saying is follow my humble example of acknowledging and confessing your own sin and having a posture of being like a continual learner who is growing and changing and maturing. And he says, follow these examples. Follow my example in humility and repentance and how I'm pursuing Jesus. And he says, pattern my, your life after mine inasmuch as it looks like Jesus. This is the same thing he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And really, this is the heartbeat of discipleship and the pattern of discipleship and helping people to grow into the image and the likeness of Jesus. But Paul doesn't say, just follow me because I'm the superstar. But he's like, there's godly people all around you. Follow them as well. And Doxa, this is needed in every single one of our lives. We all need this. If we want to grow in godliness, we need people around us. We need people ahead of us that we're looking at and learning from. And we get this in the workplace, but somehow when it comes to Christianity, it's like that's, that's, we forget about it, right? In the workplace, you show up on the new on the job, and they say, okay, here's your mentor. Follow them around. Do what they do, and you're going to be fine. Let them keep teach you and coach you. Just watch, watch what they're You'll be successful. Just do, that, do what that person does. And we get that. That makes total sense. That'd be like, yeah. This is the same thing that Paul is saying. We all need this in our lives as we follow Jesus. People to look to because the truth is more is caught than is taught, right? It's like we can hear teachings all the way, but when I see somebody living it out and I can imitate that, that's something different. And he says, be careful who you imitate. There's godly and ungodly examples. He says, look at the people who are following in the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus and imitate them, but the people who don't know Jesus and don't love Jesus, stay away because they won't lead you in the right direction. They're enemies of the cross. 
And he's likely talking about the Judaizers that we talked about last week, but these are people who don't know Jesus, who don't love Jesus, aren't submitting to Jesus, aren't following Jesus. He says these people will lead you to destruction as they teach you false things and elevate sinful patterns of life. So he says stay away. Now, look at how he says this, guys. This is so important. I want you to notice how Paul talks about these people. He isn't angry. Some of you in here, you look to people who are outside there and they're not Christians and you're angry with them, right? And you're just like, they are so wicked. Can you believe what they're doing? And you forget how jacked up you are. And you might even be worse because you're in here. Paul is not angry at these people. He cries. There's tears in his eyes. He looks at these people and says, they don't know Jesus, but I want everyone to know Jesus. But he knows that there's some people that are going to reject Jesus, and their end will be destruction because unforgiven sin will lead to eternal death. And with tears in his eyes, as he thinks about these people, he says, I love them, God loves them, Jesus died for them, but they don't love God, so do not follow them. These people are living for the things of the world. They're not following Jesus. And if you follow them, it won't be for your sanctification, but it'll be for your damnation. But he loves them. He basically says, don't follow them, but be around them. Right? Just give them the gospel. Tell them that God loves them. But follow godly examples. We all need this. The last thing is this. I'm out of time. Number four, how do I live a Christian life? I live in light of my true citizenship. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Okay, so Paul is distinguishing here between residence and citizenship. All right, Re- residence is, is where you live today. Citizenship is where you live forever. All right, and the question is, where does your ultimate loyalty and identity originate? Is it in your residence or is it in your citizenship? And what he says here is that for those who don't know the Lord Jesus, that ultimately they have no concept beyond their residence. That all they think about is the here and now. They think about this world that they live in and they think everything about it is is just kind of normal and natural. That they don't know that there's another world coming. They don't know that there's a kingdom coming that will overtake this world and that this world is sinful and fallen and broken and the world that is to come with Jesus is perfect and glorious. And they don't know that one day our city, our nation, our world will come to an end. And all that will be left is the kingdom of God. And so what he's telling us is that we are to live for the long future, to set our eyes on the citizenship of the kingdom that is coming. That we don't look to the present circumstances, we look over the present circumstances. We don't look to culture, we look to the kingdom. We don't live how everybody else lives in the present because we have a citizenship that is not here, but it's in heaven. We look to the king. We live in a different way because we have a different citizenship. And you know when we live this way, it's going to be completely countercultural. And people will tell you guys, this is just what we do. This is just what people do. It's, it's normal and natural. It's just what we do as, as people. Not God's people. God's people, we do it differently. We do money differently. We do sex differently. We do power differently. We do gender differently. We do family differently. We do relationships differently. 
We do things differently because this is our residence, but it's not our citizenship. And our ultimate allegiance and loyalty is to our king whose kingdom is coming. And this might be widely unpopular, but Paul says this is how you live as a Christian. And Doxa, I'm gonna end, but I've been struck by this passage. And I've been praying for us as a church, but I've been praying for every Christian in our city that's not even part of Doxa, that we would live like this. If God's people would live like this, we would see just a little bit of heaven here in Madison. We would see the gospel move in a heightened way throughout our city. Stories changed, people changed, families changed, eternities changed. Everything would change because we would be more and more like Jesus, walking around for his glory and the good of our great city. Let's do the work of sanctification. Let's be these types of Christians for the glory of God and the good of Madison. God, thank you for your word. God, I, I want to ask you to just help us, even as we think about this, because there can be a temptation maybe for some people to just be discouraged. And maybe we can evaluate our lives and just be like, man, I'm, I'm way Holy Spirit, would you just encourage us that there's no room for condemnation, but convict us. If there's a way that we need to change and grow and become more and more like Jesus, we, we want to do that. And so, Holy Spirit, we look to you. We don't look to ourselves. We know that we're incapable of just changing our life and becoming more like Jesus. But apart from you, we can do nothing. So help us. God, I, would, I just ask that even as we're thinking about all of this, would you just cause to come to mind like one thing that we could add to our life or take away from our life that would help us to know you more. If there is a sin or a pattern or a habit, reveal it and help us to remove it so we can know you more. If there's something that we need to add, help us to do that. Lord, we need you for this work of sanctification. We can't do it on our own. And we just say we need you. So help us. In Jesus' name.